7. Just to kind of been, it's been about five weeks since we've been in Acts. You remember Paul had completed three missionary journeys. He had returned to Jerusalem and was worshiping at the temple when he was attacked by a mob, carried outside the temple gates, and thrashed, beaten publicly. Roman soldiers intervened, taking Paul into custody, just kind of giving you the Reader's Digest version to get us caught up. By the time our chapter begins, Paul had been in custody two to three years at the end of chapter 26. He had given his testimony, his reasoning before Festus, Portius Festus, a Roman ruler of Caesarea and Herod Agrippa II. And that, end, that chapter ends with a statement from, Fest, from Herod Agrippa, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Paul is being ferried, taken in custody to Rome via ship. Beginning in chapter 27, verse 1, we will read the whole chapter. Long text, I will not apologize, but it's hard to break this story up. And it's a little bit exciting, too. Acts 27, verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to, this, go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lestia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Sydney, off Sydney. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete, off Salmone, coasting along Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to a pilot to the pilot and to the other and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put to sea from there and on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. 
And when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of the small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come... As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stem and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and you have not continued that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take some food. It will give you strength. For not a hair hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and given thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the forestail to the wind, they made for the beach. 
but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stem, excuse me, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And the soldiers planned, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for shore, make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Allow me to pray briefly to ask the Lord's blessing upon this. Lord, to this account we look for wisdom and for guidance and for help. This just seems like so much logistical data, but we know that everything in your word has value. So help us to glean something from this this morning that would help us. We ask this humbly in your name. Amen. Kind of an exciting account. There's a lot of detail here. But truly, it was an adventure. Some of you might just think, well, it's missing Jack Sparrow or that dread pop pirate Roberts. Why is it in the Bible? What kind of theology is here for us? 2 Timothy 3.16-17, you're all familiar with, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything in the Bible has value. Even the narratives, even the stories, we learn from them. They help us. What I would like to see this morning was one very simple, straight statement, a premise the providence and purposes of God promise us his eternal hope and protection. The promises, excuse me, the providence and purpose of God promise us his eternal hope and protection. It does not promise us comfortable safety. Big difference from what a lot, a lot of Christians think. God's going to keep me safe. He's going to keep me protected. He's going to keep me prosperous. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Providence and purposes of God promise us his eternal hope and protection. According to our confession, the question is asked in one place. There are several. What are the works of God's providence? The works of God's providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, persevering, and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. We need to dwell on that sometimes. I don't think we'll do it here this morning, but when we think of God's providence and something happens in your life or in our lives or with our church, if it seems Shocking, surprising, disappointing. God is seeking to get glory out of it. 
he is seeking to be glorified out of it. And we are there to bring him glory. He is not there to bring us prosperity. Although he does promise to bless us. In many ways. So what we want to see this morning is this. God's providence. Giving us the promise of his eternal blessing and hope. We'll see it in this lesson, I hope. We'll see it in our lives before us this coming year, I hope. We've certainly seen it many times in the past. Now from Caesarea, according to our text, the Apostle Paul was taken aboard a ship by the Roman soldiers and they began to sail north-northwest to Sidon around the north shore of Cyprus. From port to port along the southern coast of Asia, they put in at a port of Myra in Lycia, and they changed ships. Verse 6, it says, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put, on, put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sidness. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the, under the lee of Crete off Salmone. There's a couple of times this phrase mentioned in here, uh, just for clarification. No theology here. Under the lee. It's old English. An old statement. The far side. They were trying to avoid the prevailing winds that were coming west easterly, and they were sailing west into the wind. They were trying to use the land to block the winds in order that they might make progress. So they were going around certain islands wherever they could just to keep them moving westward while all the winds was coming from the northwest and the west. So it was a challenging journey. In reaching Sydney, they sailed south to the island of Crete. They sailed around the south side of Crete, always encountering difficulty, traveling west, The winds were always against them. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Talking about the fast, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, which usually happens in the Jewish calendar sometime late September, early October. So we're also seeing a change in the weather because of the season. Coming into the stormy months of October and November. Cold months. And Paul knew there was going to be difficulty. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only for the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Paul had this fear. At the beginning of this voyage, he could see this is not the season for sailing. This is not an easy time, an enjoyable time to be at sea. We're taking a big risk. 
Verse 11, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said. And because the harbor was not suitable for to spend winter in, the majority decided to pull out to sea from there and on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. When the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon the tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. The centurion and the owners of the ship and the crew had contracts to honor. The centurion had, and a few of his soldiers were, had the care of some prisoners who were on board. They had to get them to Rome. The owners had contracts for the cargo they had to carry. They had contracts for the passengers they, had, they were carrying. They had to get them to the destination. So there were others who were motivated to keep going, to keep moving. It wasn't necessarily that they were so foolhardy. They just needed to be somewhere. They left the island of Crete and headed into open sea, assuming the winds were favorable. And Paul had already warned them. And the trip went from bad to worse. In verse 16, it tells us the ship's boat was taken in. In ancient times, they didn't have this. It could have been used for an emergency, but they usually had an extra boat that they tied to a rope and pulled along behind them. And when they were in shallow water, a shallow harbor, and they needed to get some goods to land or bring some supplies from land, they would use that boat to transport those things. Sometimes we would transport passengers who were embarking and coming on. Verse 16, they said the waters got so rough in fear of losing that, they brought that in. They took it on board. And they lowered the gear. They lowered their sails. And they just left themselves to the mercy of the wind, driven along, without guidance, without direction. The next day, things got so desperate sea was so rough they threw the cargo overboard trying to lighten the ships in order to get it higher up out of the water so the water wouldn't wash over the gunnels so much. And the next day, Scripture says, they threw the tackle overboard, the extra ropes and turnbuckles in gear, throw it overboard, lose weight from the ship, get it higher up out of the water. Things were getting desperate. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you, 
to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only, only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who, are, who will sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Let's just stop and think. They're in the middle of, they called it the Adriatic then. Today we call it the Mediterranean. They've left the island of Crete. They're on their way toward Malta in Italy, which is south of Italy. They're trying to get to Rome. 276 people on board. Nearly 300 people in the middle of a storm. Not a lot of room. These were not luxury liners. This was a cargo ship. Wooden. Ancient. Even then, Paul had time to pray. Many of us pray the most when things get bad, don't we? Lord, give me a sign. Lord, tell me what to do. Lord, give me some direction. It's unfortunate that most of us pray only when things get bad. And we wonder why things get bad so often. God wants your attention. But I think that Paul was strategically placed here for a purpose and for a reason. He, among other disciples, a few disciples who were there to help him and care for him and pray with him and be with him, were a few Christians there on board this ship who were giving the light of the gospel. I'd I believe the gospel was being shared among these passengers. Whenever the opportunity was being opened, they were there showing Christ to them, as many people as would listen. But even in this storm, as busy as things got, as chaotic as things got, Paul had time to pray, and he wanted to encourage the people. We will survive this. The Lord has told me. We will survive this. Now, I cannot say, and I do not believe Scripture teaches, that God speaks to us this way. This was a very special time. Paul was an apostle. There are no more apostles. So God does not speak to us the same way he did with the apostles and the prophets. We have his word. We have his truth. If we are faithful and often or regularly find time for prayer and reading scripture, we would not need to hear the personal word from the Lord. I'm not suggesting the word of God is not personal, but we would not should not even desire to hear a voice. I'm, I must confess that I, there are times in my life, Lord, just let me hear your whisper. But we have his word. 
And that's where we find his light, his truth, his wisdom, his guidance, his discernment. And if we are regular in prayer and regular in studying the word and things go wrong, we should already know what to do. But let's not wait until things go bad or things get difficult to pray. Let's pray often. Let's pray regularly. Let's study his word regularly. Let's investigate his truth and find that wisdom regularly so that when things do happen and when tests and trials do come, we are ready to face them. We can stand firmly on his word without fear and without doubt. And then life Our Christian faith, our Christian walk would be an adventure. In verse 27 of our text, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground, that we might run on rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Most of you who know, who have been around long enough, a fathom is about six feet. They usually measured it from the tip of man's finger to the tip of man's finger. It's about six feet. So... That first sounding they took, 20 fathoms, it's a six times 20, 240 feet, right? Twelve hundred feet, 120 feet. I'll blame that to a senior moment. Thank you for my brother for the sign language. A little farther, they took another sounding, found 15 fathoms. The water was getting shallower. They did not want to run aground and not be prepared for it, so they let down four anchors to hold the ship in place. And Scripture says in verse 30, as the sailors, the crew, were seeking to escape from the ship, they put on this ruse. We're going to take the boat, and we're going to, roll out and set some anchors off the bow to hold us in place. And Paul was suspicious and he told the Roman soldiers, if you let this crew leave the ship, you're not going to survive. And these Roman soldiers took their swords or axes and they cut the line of that rowboat and just let it go. They said, you guys are not going anywhere. Your responsibility is this ship and these passengers. As the day was about dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you, take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. 
and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. As they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were 276 persons in that ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. Now, there are lessons here. Our bright, clear vision of the Lord himself and his truth and his light is better than the dark, cloudy gloom of this world. Paul's message of hope coming from God through his ministry to these people was a bright, clear vision of hope. Paul was demonstrating, although it may not have been a clear, specific precise message of the gospel he was telling them you need to listen to the Lord the Lord has told us that we will survive believe him the providence and purposes of God promise us eternal hope and protection I do not wish don't think I'm going or suggesting anything that Christianity is, or the truth of scripture, or the gospel is universal to all people. It is only to those who believe by faith, responding to the gospel in repentance, and receiving the gift. I am not a universalist as far as eternal salvation is, or eternal life is concerned. We must believe God's word. We must respond in repentance and faith in Christ. But when we look at this example, this lesson from Scripture, we see an example of a very violent storm that was long-term, exhausting, frightening, terrifying. And the people at sea on Paul's ship feared for their lives. And Paul offered them hope from the Lord. If you stop and think about this as an example, we can look broader picture, broader scope at this whole world, particularly these last two to three years. Things have gotten challenging. Things have gotten spiritually dark. Things have gotten discouraging. Spiritual warfare has ramped up. But I must tell you, according to Scripture, that's normal. As we look at God's Word and pray and read, we should expect it. Because this world in spiritual darkness hates the light. They hate the truth of the word. And we've talked about this before. The Lord himself, the first sermon he preached, beginning his ministry. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Paul says you're blessed if you're persecuted. Excuse me, the Lord says you're blessed if you're persecuted. He also says rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Everything's normal. We get so discouraged when we see this world literally going down the tube. Stand firm. That's what the Bible tells us. Stand firm. Do not doubt God. Trust him. Trust his wisdom. Continue with your message of the gospel. Continue trusting him. Continue sharing. Continue loving. Continue being faithful. Christianity and the Bible are under attack. We've seen so much about the LGBTQ plus agenda. It is being, what's a good word? Forced upon us. Not only in not only in the news, but in advertisements on television. We're seeing it more and more. The depiction of gay couples happy in their homes. There is a certain pizza I will never buy again. Because of the way they're being advertising, the way they're advertising it now. If you're a Christian, you need to pay, pay, pay attention to what kind of product you're buying. Just a suggestion. It's not going to send you to hell. It's not going to give you any kind of judgment from God. Just pay attention to what kind of products you're buying. How are they advertising it? What kind of agenda are they pushing on you through their commercials and through their ads? Christianity and the Bible are under attack from the government and from business, from the culture. We see a lot about the gender confusion going on in this world, trying to force it upon children, trying to teach us that, well, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Leave me alone. I will live my truth. You live your truth. But they don't want Christians to live their truth. They don't allow Christians to live their truth. Christianity and the Bible are under attack. It is a literally spiritual storm. And it's been going on for some time. It is, it's only been exacerbated these last 10 years. It's been going on since Christ ascended into heaven. But I don't see so much of the church. There are some. But at the organized church, I don't see the organized church standing firm anymore. I don't see them claiming the promises of God anymore. I don't see them preaching the gospel anymore. What they are doing essentially is throwing all of their gear overboard. 
we're in the middle of a storm. Let's just get rid of this old, archaic truth. And maybe we can stay afloat. Let's just let everybody in with all of their sin, with all of their rebellion, with all of their pride. Let's just love everybody and don't ask them to repent. It has gotten so bad, I cannot, in a mixed crowd, talk about some of the things that churches are doing today. And the prophet Isaiah, centuries before the birth of Christ, said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is exactly what the world is doing today, and that is exactly what so-called church leaders are doing today. We have a bright and clear vision in Scripture instead of a dark, cloudy doom that is coming to the world and to the lost. We need to understand that the providence and purposes of God promise us his eternal hope and protection. Not, not soft, comfortable safety. There is a war raging Spiritual warfare is active now. We need to wake up. I heard a quote from Doug Wilson. I know he's kind of a controversial issue, but I thought that was profound. I think I may have put it in the bulletin a few weeks ago. Just as a thought to think about. Christianity is not just another religion among many. Christianity is the future of the human race. Those who are faithful, who preach the word of God, who stand firm on his promises, who trust in his providence, shall live forever. So what he is saying here is absolutely right. The human race will continue and be protected under God's blessing forever, but only in Christ. So as we observe this storm going on in this world, as we observe this warfare, we are not to surrender our weapons, we are not to throw our gear and our truth overboard, we are to stand firm and trust God. Trust his providence. Give him glory with our lives. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for Jehovah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Some of us may not know the name William Cooper. He was an English poet and hymn writer. He passed away in 1800. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Those were his lyrics. He wrote that hymn. But what a lot of people don't know 
and I think it's always good to find some good biographies of some of these hymn writers. What a lot of people don't know about William Cooper was that for much of his life, he was clinically, we would call it clinical depression. He struggled with depression. He tried to commit suicide more than once. Through the help and counsel of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he was helped quite a bit. But even in his darkness, as he tried to trust, depend upon the providence of God and his purpose, he wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain, but is his own and God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. We look at this example from Acts, and we see that very same thing, that God's providence was working in that storm, showing his sovereign authority to the lives of those who were lost. We'll see more about those people who survived that as they take up camp on the island when we get to Acts 28 next week. God is revealing himself to the lost in this account. And we should be as his children revealing our Lord to those around us who are lost. Being faithful to preach his gospel without apology and without compromise. We have a bright and clear vision instead of dark, cloudy gloom. The providence and purpose of God's promise of God promises us his eternal hope and protection. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your truth and your hope and your help. And thank you for your word. Help us this day as we worship you together to give praise for all that you do. Help us always to trust fearlessly your providence and your guidance. And when we are tested, Lord, may we be faithful. May we not run in fear. May we stand firm. For we long to give you glory in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.